Welcome to the Derek Prince Ministries podcast, helping you to grow stronger in God. For more than six decades, best-selling author and Bible teacher Derek Prince has been a source of inspiration for millions of believers around the world. You too can benefit from his compelling biblical insights. And now, Derek Prince. It's good to be with you again at the beginning of a new week, sharing with you keys to successful living that God has placed in my hand through many years of personal experience and Christian ministry. This week I'll continue with my theme from the previous two weeks, spiritual warfare. Last week I dealt with the six items of defensive armor listed by Paul in Ephesians 6:14 through 17 the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. I pointed out that, with the exception of the sword, all these items listed are essentially for protection or self-defense, and even the sword can reach no further than the arm of the person who wields it. In other words, there is nothing in this list of defensive equipment that will enable us to deal with Satan's strongholds, as Paul describes them in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, where he speaks about our obligation to cast down Satan's strongholds or fortresses. So in my talks this week, I want to move from the defensive to the offensive. I want to deal with weapons of attack, weapons that will enable us to assail and cast down Satan's strongholds. It's important that we see our obligation to take the offensive, to move out and actively attack Satan's kingdom. It's a fact of history and experience that no army ever won a war on the defensive. Somewhere in the early part of this century, someone asked a well-known French general, in a war, which army wins? The general replied, the one which advances. Now that's probably an oversimplification, but at least it's true that we'll never win a war by retreating or even by merely holding our ground. And as long as Satan keeps the church on the defensive, his kingdom will never be overthrown. Therefore, we have an absolute obligation to move out from the defensive, from mere self-protection, to attack. When Jesus first unveiled his plan for the church, he envisioned it going out on the offensive and attacking Satan's strongholds. The first time the word church is used in the New Testament is in Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is here speaking to Peter, and he says this, You are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. An alternative reading is, All the gates of hell shall not be too strong for it. Uh, Hell is, in Greek, the word Hades. The root meaning of the word Hades is invisible, unseen. So Hades, or hell, is the unseen world of Satan's kingdom. 
Now Jesus pictures his church in the light of two primary activities, building and battling. These always must go together. It's no good battling if we don't build. But on the other hand, we can't build if we don't battle. So we've got to think always in terms of building the church and battling the forces of Satan. Now many people have interpreted these words of Jesus incorrectly. They've somehow assumed that Jesus pictured the church on the defensive, being besieged in a city by Satan's forces. And they've taken his promise to mean that Satan would not be able to batter the gate of that city down before Jesus came and caught the church away. That's really a totally defensive concept of the church in the world. But it's completely incorrect. If we really analyze what Jesus meant by his words to Peter, we find that Jesus pictures the church on the offensive, attacking the gates of Satan. And his promise is that Satan's gates will not hold out against the church, that Satan will not be able to keep the church out. It's not the church trying to keep Satan out. It's Satan failing to keep the church out. Jesus promises us that if we obey him as our commander-in-chief, we'll be able to move out, storm Satan's citadels, break through his gates, release his captives, and carry away his spoil. That's the church's assignment. It's essentially offensive, not defensive. The word gate has a great deal of meaning in Scripture. First of all, the gate is the place of counsel and rule. For instance, in Proverbs 31, verse 23, it says of the husband of the ideal wife, the faithful wife, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Notice the city gate was the place where the ruling council of elders sat, ruled, and administered the city. So when the scripture says that the gates of Satan will not prevail against the church, it means that Satan's councils will not prevail against the church, that Satan's councils will be frustrated and brought to naught. Then again, in attacking a city, the natural place to attack is the gates. They're weaker than the walls. In Isaiah 28, 6, we have this phrase, a strength to those who repel the onslaught at the gate. So you see the picture. The picture is the church making an onslaught on the gates of Satan's citadel. And the promise of Jesus is that the gates of Satan will not be able to keep the church out. So we have to have an adjustment in our thinking. We have to stop thinking on the defensive and start thinking on the offensive. My experience is that most Christians have got the kind of attitude, I wonder where the devil's going to strike next. I suggest to you that the boot should be on the other foot. The devil should be wondering where the church is going to strike him next. I want to explain the scriptural basis for our doing so. It's really found mainly in one verse, Colossians 2.15, which describes what God accomplished through the death of Christ on the cross on our behalf. It says this, 
when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. Now the rulers and authorities are the same spiritual forces of Satan that are referred to in Ephesians 6.12. It's Satan's spiritual kingdom. So through the cross, God disarmed those rulers and authorities. I wonder if you've ever thought about that, that Satan has been left without armor. He's been stripped of his weapons. God, through the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities. Then it says, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, that's through Jesus, or through the cross. Either translation is permissible. So God, through the cross, disarmed Satan's kingdom. He made a public display of the representatives of Satan's kingdom, and he triumphed over them in the cross. I've pointed out before that a triumph is not so much winning a victory. It's the celebration of a victory that has already been won. It goes beyond victory. It's a public demonstration that complete victory has been won. Now, Jesus on the cross did not win the victory for himself. He always had the victory. He was our representative, and he won the victory on our behalf. Thus, his victory becomes our victory. We see this in 2 Corinthians 2.14, where Paul says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Notice those two phrases, always, in every place. Always and in every place. We are to represent Christ's victory. God is going to demonstrate publicly the victory that Christ has won through us. That's the victory over Satan's rulers and authorities, or principalities and powers. This victory is to be worked out through us. Let's look at the final commission of Jesus given to his disciples in Matthew 28:18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. If Jesus has all authority, that leaves none for anybody else except as he yields it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You notice the therefore. It's significant. Jesus said, All authority has already been given to me. You go, therefore. What does the therefore mean? I understand it to mean this. You go and exercise on my behalf the authority that I've already won. So our assignment is to administer the victory, demonstrate the triumph, and exercise the authority that Jesus has won on our behalf. You see, authority is only effective when it's exercised. If we don't exercise the authority of Jesus that he's given to us, it remains ineffective. Secondly, the world can only see Christ's victory when we demonstrate it. Christ has won the victory, but our assignment is to demonstrate the victory over Satan and his kingdom, which Jesus has already won. And this we can only do when we move from the defensive to the offensive. Well, our time is up for today. I'll be back with you again tomorrow at this time. For the rest of this week, I'll be speaking about specific weapons of attack that God has made available to us. Tomorrow, I'll deal with the weapon of prayer. Thank you for listening. For more inspiring teaching, visit our website at dpmuk.org forward slash podcast. And like our page at facebook.com forward slash dpmuk to join our online community. Derek Prince. 
teaching you can trust. 